Open up uh, to Ephesians <clears throat> 6, 1 through 4. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> anyways, I got some verse 1. You guys ready for this? Ephesians 6. Now, there's no chapter break here. Paul is just going right through. Hey, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Joyful, thankful, worshipful, submitted one to another. Husbands loving your wives unconditionally. Wives submitting to your husbands, following them. Both of this cycle completing one another. And then he just keeps going right into what it looks like in the harmony of the home. Now, please just pinch yourself and make a decision. Is the home under attack in our culture? Has the home in every culture for every time been upside down and perverted and attacked and and just under stress and pressure? And so he steps in. God doesn't say, hey, just so you know, Genesis 2, man, that thing was on point, okay? The home, that thing was legit. There was no clothes involved. It was awesome, you know? Adam and Eve and go and multiply and subdue the earth and oh, and then sin. Sin entered and the whole thing became convoluted and corrupt. The whole thing became open prey for the attacks of the enemy. And if you do a historical study, not just biblical, but a historical study of time, in every culture and in every regime and in every government, there has been man's ideas fueled by Satan, and then there has been God's ideas that are originated from heaven. And these ideas collide one with another, and we have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you get a new mind and a new heart, and you can understand, oh, While I may not be doing it that way, that's the right way. Isn't Christianity great? You can agree with the truth and say, that's absolutely right. Oh, I'm not doing it. I'm trying my best. Get off my back. You know, he who's without sin casts the first stone. But that's right. That's right. And that's the first step in moving forward. I always tell people that that relapse in their sobriety or find themselves doing something very foolish. I say, okay, first step. First step is just aim the right direction. I don't care how far back off the track you are. It doesn't matter to me. Aim in the right direction. Because life is a series of one successful step after another. That's all it is. And every once in a while, we make one unsuccessful step after another, and we go to jail. You guys know how that works. Paul says, let's take that analogy of one successful step, and let's call it walking in the Spirit. And he gives everybody some instruction. He has husbands and wives, and he gives individuals and males and females. And here in chapter 6, he gives kids, kids and parents. And then we'll learn next week, he goes on to employers and employees and citizens. He just covers the whole thing, and then he kind of summarizes it all up and reminds us that it's a spiritual battle. We don't fight against each other. The battle's not one left to right. The battle's one up to down. The battle is in the spirit, not in the flesh, and it's just so legit. So let's read for four verses, and then we'll pray. i got to get on the right page here. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. And you fathers, oh, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. A lot of weight on the dads. But, he says, bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. And, Father, in Jesus' name now, we ask a blessing on this time as we study your word, as we continue through Ephesians and get Ephesians through us. Just thinking last night of all we've been through as a church here, Ephesians, and before that, Esther and Jonah and Daniel and John and Acts and Romans and Nehemiah, just the the word, the word. And I pray in Jesus' name that we would continue to grow and mature. And that today, especially, Lord, the moms and the dads, and especially the dads, Lord, would feel the weight of responsibility that is put upon them by Paul. But they would also equally rise into that position. And like Peter, step out on water, that which he could not do. And walk, Lord, for the kingdom of God, that which naturally he did not want to do. I pray you would change us, Lord. Bless this time, and we again pray for those who are suffering, Lord, uh, on the East Coast and in Haiti right now and in Florida, and just nuts, Lord. We know what storms are like here. We don't get them as bad, but we understand. And so we just pray for peace. Uh, we, we pray, Lord, for strength. We pray for miraculous provision. We pray, Lord, that there would be a countenance of joy amongst the ravaged, that you would anoint the the chaplains and the ministers and the missionaries and the Christians and the guys and the gals and the young youth groups that are heading over there right now. And may Christ 
be glorified as we minister to one another in our time of need. And give us wisdom. How can we help? Lord, we're over here. We can probably write some checks. We can come alongside. We can pray the weapons of warfare. Most of all, we just want to be grateful that we have this day. It's the day you've made. We pray that we'd redeem the time. Anoint us and prepare us right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Be filled with the Holy Spirit in the way that you walk. And I've been teaching this for a couple weeks, and I really hope you're getting this, that the Holy Spirit, he heals, he does signs, he does wonders, he gives tongues, he gives prophecies, all kinds of cool stuff. Those are events that happen. I've walked in them. It's just legit. But more often than not, the Holy Spirit is given to you to equip you to do two things. That which you just can't do, it's just too much. You're, you're worn out. You're, you're outgunned. You're too small. You're, you're, you're built wrong. It's just, it, you can't do it. And the Holy Spirit says, right on. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. The Holy Spirit anoints you to do that which you can't do. And the Holy Spirit gives you the power and ability to do the things that you don't want to do. The things that in your sinful nature, raise your hand if you still have a sinful nature. I'm not talking about the person sitting next to you. You're like, I got a couple of those at my house, you know. I got three of them, I married one, you know, we bought one at the pound, you know, sinful nature, you know. No, no. You, you, you. And we struggle, we struggle. The old man, he, he perishes. We gotta peel him off and bury him daily. And the new man is being renewed as well. And so the Holy Spirit, and right now, God's calling you to do things you can't do. He's calling you to do things that are bigger than you. Most of us don't want to hear that. I just want to do stuff that's like average or just right about right where I'm at. Or maybe I'm just a little bit above what I'm being called to so I can guarantee get the win. I don't want to be, you know, when I used to wrestle, my coach, I wrestled at 134 uh, my senior year and I went to state and I placed at state. And I remember I was wrestling at 134 and for the first three tournaments, my coach said, you're wrestling 142. And as a wrestler, I'm like, why would you do this to me? These aren't my people, you know? These guys are bigger than me. They have beards and stuff and tattoos and they're adults. Well, 142 pounds. Anyways, my coach knew, Luke, this is going to prepare you. When you step in above that which you can do, it's going to make you better, both in the natural but in the supernatural. And I don't know if that in intrigues you or not. I need it to just kind of settle in. God wants to call you right now to things that are bigger than you, things you can't do in the spirit. For the rest of your life. He wants you to be a part of ministries, a part of prayer teams, a part of relationships that are miraculous and too big. They're too big. It's too big. Perfect. Ah, what else would you need the Holy Spirit for? Oh, the goosebumps. I want the goosebumps, you know. Okay. Okay. He'll give you that too. He'll give you that too. <clears throat> Excuse me. But the Holy Spirit also calls us not just to do things that are bigger than us, but to call us to things that we don't want to do. Did you know that naturally, most of you are aware of this, but naturally when you were born and before you're born again, you're opposed to the things of God. You read the scriptures and naturally try and find ways around them. Naturally speaking, you look at the ways of God and says, that's a bad idea. That's not how I would do it. That's not what I think's right. And God says, right on, I'm going to call you and I'm going to equip you, and I'm actually going to reprogram your mind because when you were born, you were born broken, okay? And when you're born broken, you need to be fixed, and it's called being born again. It gives you a new heart and a new mind, and I'll tell you what. God leads you then through his book, the Bible, and you see a ton of instructions then in the scriptures. Have you noticed this? That are contrary to you, contrary to culture, contrary to everything. You're like, this can't be right, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And the Holy Spirit gives you a firm foundation to stand on in a culture that, I don't know if you know this, has no foundation. You realize this? We have no foundation. When you build a house, you get one foundation, and everyone agrees. That's it. We're going to use one. Okay, we're all agreed. We're not, and not a bunch of contractors show up with theirs and say, well, I'm going to use mine when I do the electrical, and I'm going to use mine when I do the plumbing, and I'm going to use mine when I do the siding, and I'm going to use mine. No, no, we agreed. There's only one way to build this house right. And Jesus says, the way, the way to do this is the way that I've described. Pick. Pick if you believe it or not. And you need God's spirit to help you overcome and rise above that which you can't do and that which you wouldn't do. We call this walking in the spirit. We've been looking at the person of the spirit. He's joyful, thankful, worshipful. He's submitted. And then we looked at the people of the spirit, that is the marriages, walking in responsibility to their roles and obedient to their instruction. Now we just segues right into children. I just love how thorough God is. 
to lead us. And why does it say children? Let's read it again, verse 1. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. And he quotes out of Deuteronomy, which is a quote out of Exodus, where the Ten Commandments are given. Now, the Jews break up the Ten Commandments as the first four are services or commands in the way you serve God. And then the last six are commands in the way you serve one another. But this is the fifth commandment. And it's kind of a blend. It's a blend where it's not just a command that goes unilateral this way, but also goes vertical. That when you obey and honor your parents as unto the Lord, you're also honoring your Father in heaven. You're choosing to, as a child, honor God by honoring your folks. And it's both a command that blesses God and blesses the people that God has given to watch over you for your well-being. Now, again, I don't how many kids we got in here? When it says kids, the word here is like tetuchus, or it's like a T word. It's a, it's a, it's, it literally means small kids. Okay? It doesn't mean just a 45-year-old son you know, of a 65-year-old mom or something like that. That still is your mom, and there still is honor there, but the obedience part is different at this point. This is talking directly, and just pinch yourself. Paul's telling the family how it works. Moms, dads, people, kids. Any kid... It's so fun. It's so fun. <laughs> kids, kids, saved by the bell. You know, kids. I don't see any kids in here. They're all tucked away in their classes, but Paul speaks to them. He doesn't tell parents, make sure your kids obey. He's telling the kids. He, he's assuming that the kids are going to read this letter too. Okay? He's assuming that the kids are going to be raised up in a home, that the moms and dads are sharing the scriptures, whether the kids get it or not. I read this to my kids the other day while they were all in timeout. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Let me explain what's going on here, children. <laughs> no. This is it's for the kids because the kids need instruction too. Now, why do kids need instruction too? Okay, because kids are sinners. They're broken. Kids are broken. And there's people that would assert weird thoughts that say kids aren't sinners, they're innocent. And the only people that assume that are people that have never had kids. You know what I'm saying? Like, you don't, you've never been around one, have you? And, Here's the deal. Kids aren't innocent. No. Listen, they're more innocent than you, okay? That's, that's true. They're more innocent than you, but they are not innocent. As a matter of fact, when a, when a child is born, they're born guilty by association, okay? They're broken in a human race. That is, they're separated from God, and there's a problem. And how do we know that problem exists? From the moment they're born. You know, instantly, as a matter of fact, I was thinking about this. You know why God allows kids to be born as little helpless babies? Because if they were any more, less helpless, if they were helpful, if they were any bigger or stronger, they would kill everyone, okay? <laughs> right away, just come right up, like, like Wolverine from X-Men, you know? Just be born and be like, oh, just everybody dies. But instead, but instead, God's made them so small that we can like, you know, swaddle them and just put them away for a second, you know, and hold them over here. And James Dobson had some advice for parents long, years and years ago. And he said, when you have kids and they get to those terrible twos, go ahead and just put them in a box and put holes in the box and just kind of keep them in there. And as the kids grow, feed them. And once they become teenagers, just plug up the holes, just plug up the holes and you'll be fine, you know, and he's, you know, that's just <laughs> kids, man, kids. Actually, it's been, studies have been done. You can actually receive, and uh, they found that uh, insanity is hereditary, that you can actually get it from your kids. <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, come on, people. Children. Children. Yeah, it's crazy. And he says, children, obey your parents. And he uses this word obey, which is super not popular. It's not a PC word, obey, obey. All the sociologists and all the counselors, we don't like that word. That word's too, it's too specific, it's too hardcore, you know. And, uh, let's, let's use a word like cooperate or something like that. Or co-op, co-op, let's do, you know. He says, no, it's obey. Because the opposite of obey is disobey. And if you have a kid that is not taught to obey when they're young, they will naturally disobey when they're old. The command is given to the kids. It's in conjunction. There's a whole bunch of things that just meld and make sense. Parents are given here as under the Lord. It's all just this perfect, harmonious balance. But he says the kids, they need instruction because they're born broken. Okay, you don't have to teach a kid to be sinful. You, know, you don't have to teach a kid to be mad. You don't have to teach a kid to be selfish. You don't have to teach a kid to lie. You've got to teach a kid not to be a terrorist. Okay? You've got to teach them, don't lie. Don't bite other people with your teeth. Okay, we don't do that. How many people had to teach your kids, like, 
through years. No, we don't. Oh, oh, yeah, we don't bite here. Yeah, we stop the biting, Charlie. Don't bite your brother's finger, you know. And people bite and they lie. And it's just, I don't know. Maybe this is just my house. Maybe I'm getting too personal here. <sighs> Let me clarify. Children are a blessing, okay? The Bible says they're a blessing. They're a gift from God. They're given to you for so many reasons. And as a parent, when you get a child, they're there to bless you and actually to raise you. And you grow so much. I've heard that my whole life. I learned so much from my kids. I'm like, what do they teach you? They don't know anything, you know? And what they teach you is they teach you to call upon the Lord. <laughs> Lord, I'm overwhelmed. Lord. Lord. Uh, oh. They're a blessing. They're a very uh, complicated, expensive, and sinful blessing. And the, the command here is to teach them to obey. Now, I'm just going to be honest. This takes a lifetime, okay? You usually only get in our day 18 years at this. Like 18 years in the first couple are very, very important to teach your kids to obey. To obey. He uses a different word in verse 2. He says honor. Okay, honor and obedience are two separate veins. Obedience is on the outside. Honor is from the inside. And this is taught at home. So eventually you as an adult would eventually obey your father in heaven. But not just obey. Do you know that's kind of like a, the big E on the chart? Let's obey God. Let's do what God says. And you could actually obey God and still dishonor him in your heart. But what he wants, what God wants is honor in your heart where you say, Lord, what's you, what do you want? What's the rules? What would you say is right? I'm going to obey you. And sometimes we yeah, snivel and whine and kick rocks and obey until we learn, no, I want to honor my father. I want, it's, I want to bless him. And this happens at home. This is taught. It's modeled. It's exemplified. It's... It's prayed in at the home because the opposite of obedience is disobedience. And in our culture today, man, I'm not gonna, I can't build too many uh, arguments, but we know we, we, don't, we give out participation awards and you, know, you are on the losing team of the entire program and you lost, you lost all your games. Here's a trophy just like everyone else got. You know, and how confusing is that? Look, I won. I, no, you didn't. You know? now, I, you gotta, we need to teach our kids right from wrong Obedience from disobedience and the right way to go. As a matter of fact, the Proverbs say in chapter 13, verse 24, that if you don't teach your kids, that you literally hate them. That if you don't, as a parent, labor to discipline your kids unto obedience, they're born broken, okay? It's not their fault, but it is their responsibility. And as a parent, it's doubly your responsibility. They are broken. They're so sweet and cute and harmless. God made them that way to save our lives. But they've got this nature that needs to be identified. It needs to be redeemed. It needs to be forgiven. And if you don't do that as a parent, I've got three kids. Okay, I've got three kids. I'm, I'm in the throes of this. <laughs> and I love studying this stuff through. It's really had an impact on my um, my parenting just in the last couple of weeks studying this out and just listening to authors and man this is such a journey and this is so joyous and oh i only get one shot at this and even in today's message there'll be different emotions and reactions based on the teaching here people who have already had their kids graduate and move out and maybe there's some wreckage or maybe you are 10 years into this and you've blown it or maybe you're just wanting kids and it doesn't make any sense to you and there's going to be different emotions here but the principles are the same here notice it says children obey your parents in the lord i like this thought of parents in the Lord. These two are there. They're part of it. Number one, this is insinuating that this is a godly home, okay? This is a home that is seeking God with godly parents that are repenting, leading their kids to godly ways, teaching them. So when it says, obey and honor your parents, it's under the impression that these parents are having their eyes on God too. They're not criminals themselves, okay? So it's not saying this is a clause for all kids everywhere to obey all parents everywhere, even if the parents have you do sinful things. And this is implying it's as unto the Lord. And it's also saying obey your parents. You know you can't obey something that doesn't exist, okay? It's also insinuating that the parents are leading their kids, that the parents are actually stepping up to the plate and helping their kids navigate through life. And I heard an illustration that may make sense to you. It was of some kids talking about curfews, and one of the kids was complaining. My parents make me come home at 10. Man, it's such a drag and all, you know, everything fun happens after 10. I got to come home and I can't be on the internet past 11. They got a watchdog on my, my internet and they, they see everything I see. And my parents, man, all this stuff. And then the other kid responded, my parents don't care when I come home. And if you shorten that up a little bit, really, it's my parents don't care. 
My parents don't care. And, and the kids, and they would say, oh, you're serious? No curfew, no, no rules, no limits. Oh, that's the best. They, they would think because they're brain dead. But, but we know as adults, no, it, it takes a lot of intentional caring to be an intentional parent. And it is a lifestyle, and it is a commitment, and it is a legacy. And for parents, man, you got to just, it's, I, was at, I did this memorial yesterday. I was on the beach. And the family might be here later today, and this isn't by any way to embarrass them. It's actually, I was encouraged. And one of the little girls there, she's three, and she's just a fireball. It's going to be fun to watch her grow. And the mom, during the circle, we circled up and put the ashes in the ocean and all the rest, and there was tears. And, and the, the mom was holding the little girl's hand, and the little girl did not want to be still. You know, you ever been there before? You're three years old. You know, on the beach, like, there's sand to eat, mom. Can I eat the sand yet? You know, what, what is prohibiting me from eating this sand, you know? And, and I just, the mom just held her hand. And the kid was going crazy. The, kid, the mom had a balloon in one hand and a kid in the other. I couldn't decipher the two at times. Which, which one is it, you know? And I was just so proud of this mom. She wasn't being mean at all. She just held, holding this kid's hand. We gotta just do it, honey. She wasn't, jer wasn't jerking it, wasn't yelling, just had a smile, just a gentle spirit. I thought, ah, so hard sometimes. So hard sometimes to just stay the course in these parents here. Obey your parents as unto the Lord. God's involved in this family that he's describing here, but the parents are also involved. And as a parent, to be involved in your kid's life, man, takes every ounce and every effort. As a matter of fact, beyond that, it takes every bit of the Holy Spirit to anoint you, to be present with your kids, to, to be crying out on behalf of your kids, to be flexible with your kids. Again, I got three kiddos and they're all very different and so I parent them differently. I understand their little different idiosyncrasies and I understand what they like and don't like and how they receive instruction and how they receive love and how they receive fun and I respect my kids and I meet them individually where they're at. This takes parental foresight and insight and commitment. And I would just say this, as a parent, if you're a parent here, you're the adult, okay? You're the adult. And you get a great opportunity and responsibility to be the adult and to stand on the beach instead of acting like a three-year-old, help your three-year-old to know that they're loved, that they'll get through this, you know, just holding them. You're the adult. Sometimes I'll be with my kids and they'll be doing things. And I just wonder if they work for Al-Qaeda. I'm like, are these, is that what's happening? Am I being undermined? Is, you know, what's it? And I just wonder, and it starts getting crazy. And then all of a sudden you see them start to, they understand and they start to go crazy. And I remind myself they're just kids. If these were my adult friends doing these things, okay, I would call the FBI watch list. Like, for sure, you'd be done. You'd be done. I'll, be, I'll tase you myself. But it's my kids. They don't know any better. And I'm always reminding myself they're just, they're not doing this on purpose. They don't really know what they're doing. So they need me as their parent to be flexible, okay? I don't know about you parents. Be, be, be flexible with your kids. You've got to rise and you've got to come down. You've got to move and adjust with them, just like Jesus modeled with the 12 disciples. They were so radically different from one another, and Jesus loved them and chose them and discipled them individually. You've got to be flexible, and you've got to be patient, parents. How patient? I mean, I've told you, how many times have I got to tell you this? Uh, three or 4,000 more times, maybe, you know, over and over, and even then, it's not going to work. <laughs> yeah. Patient. You ever prayed for the fruit of the Spirit? Lord, more fruit in my life. Did you know that all the fruits of the Spirit are exercised on people who don't deserve them? Lord, give me love. Oh, that sounds cool. You know what the Lord's going to give you? Unlovable people. Okay? Because it's not really love if they, they deserve it. Lord, I want patience today. <laughs> That's going to be a fun one. Nothing's going to go right that day. Lord, give me power today. Okay, I'll send the enemy your way because you're going to need it. <sighs> Patience. And, and God is, if you don't have patience, God's going to give you people to bring patience out of you, primarily your kiddos. Patient and flexible and consistent. And this is where we need the Lord to really help us as parents to be consistent for our kiddos. Raising them up in the things of God, responding the same way, repenting when we fail, looking to God. The whole thing's beautiful. You could easily see Paul just skip this part out. The kids go to Sunday school, not really talking about parenting, not really talking about children obeying, not really talking about this. He says, no, this is part of the harmony of the home. This is how it's going to work. And the more the culture gets away from this, the more families are erupted and exploded and dismantled and disintegrated, the more that the family unit is redefined, the more that Satan can attack this and attack femininity and masculinity and biblical roles and responsibilities, the more confusion we can have in here, the more dismantled the church will be in the end days. So why does Paul address this? He says, oh, 
here's how it looks. Just run it through this grid, okay? Every single day, run it through this grid, and you'll find yourself walking in the things of the Lord. And again, he says, uh, honor your father and mother, verse 2, which is the first commandment with promise. And this idea of obedience outward, that's, that's taught, trained. You know, like I said a few weeks ago, I've taught my kids to say thank you. You just say thank you, say thank you, say thank you, say thank you. Pretty soon they say thank you, but eventually they actually are thankful. It's a whole other world. When it's outward obedience, that's great, but inward honor. And when you truly, and as an adult here, you might want to obey God and you might want to do it like, okay, what does God want me to do here? And some people call me as a pastor. I just need to know what God wants here. You know, and if it's a specific Bible verse, I'm like, I'll tell you what he wants. I'll tell you right here. And I, okay, you know, I'll do it. And eventually though, as an obedient child of God, you say, I want to, I want to honor God. I only ever want to honor God. Show me how to obey, but I also want to honor him. It's like the child who was being disciplined by their uh, parents and was told to go sit down in a timeout, and the child sat down in the timeout and said, I'm sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside, you know? <laughs> this, this dishonor from within, and sometimes we'll do. Maybe you're here today, and you'll, I'll do what God says, I guess. You know, whatever. But I'm not gonna honor him. And the next step is to, obey and to honor as a matter of fact check this out once you honor somebody if you get that one first before obedience and obedience is taught first because honor is just you only honor yourself until you're born again until you realize but once you do honor somebody that's what leads you once you honor the lord and you wake up and you don't wrestle with him anymore man you are so subject to him and so in awe of him and wanting to please him and the only thing you want to do is what he wants you to do both in the stuff that's super clear but also in the stuff that's super personal because you have come to realize i can't believe i'm alive you should have killed me when i was born you know you should how did i make it this far and god's blessed you and you've realized that and you honor him and obey him look at verse three he says that you may be well or that it may be well with you and you may live a long life on the earth God's rules, God's ways, God's order, God's plan, God's direction is all. He's just rubbing his hands together. Oh, this is going to be so good for you. This is going to be so fun. This is going to be so legit. I want you to live well and have a long life. I want you to be so content. I don't want you to be ripped off by the enemy. Genesis 1 and 2, God creates everything perfect in euphoria and gives it to Adam and Eve. In, in Genesis 3, Satan comes along and perverts the family dynamic, tempts and tricks and leads astray. And you just need to know in your heart of hearts, God is so legit. He is so much more fun than any sinful desire or experience that is outside of his ways. He is so much more fulfilling than anything you're worried about right now culturally or personally. Well, I just think this and this isn't popular. And God says, hey, going to be well with you. You're going to have a great life if you do it my way. It's just the way it is. Everything else after that is going to cost you more than you can afford, take you further than you were prepared to go, and keep you longer than you wanted to stay. You will be tricked time and time again. When you honor God and obey him, you live well and live long. As a matter of fact, that makes sense to us. In the Old Testament, in the olden days, this would actually be more practical. You would live well and have a good life. In those days, if you had a particularly uh, difficult child to raise, and as the child continued to mature and walked in rebellion and disobedience and dishonor, in the olden days, the Old Testament, you could actually bring that child to the elders of the church in the olden days, and you could actually take that child outside the camp, and the elders then, because this child was repeatedly rebellious and dishonorable as they would grow, and they would take stones, and they would actually stone that child to death, and God says, hey, obey your parents, and kids won't get stoned. It had a whole different meaning back then, whole different meaning. <laughs> From Genesis to Revelation, God's heart is that we would have lives that are good, that are honorable, that are obedient. And so I would just, before we segue into the dads, <sighs> ask yourself, how's, how's your kids? Not everyone has kids. I realize it's a mixed, mixed group here. But how's your kids? Are they, are they, do you have a tough kid? 
You have a kid that's tough, I just, man, this kid, this kid, this kid. Or maybe a grandkid, this grandkid, this grandkid. Or maybe it's somebody you know, this, this kid. That kid needs prayer, okay? That kid needs the Holy Spirit. Children obey. How are children going to do that? Through parents, modeling, teaching, and praying through that kid, having the Holy Spirit. This changes everything. I got three kids, and I've been frustrated. I've, I've overreacted. I've, I've disciplined out of anger. I've, I've made all the classical mistakes. But when I choose to look at God's way and say, this kid needs extra help, how are they going to get that? Boarding school. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no. Now pull that kid aside. Pull that kid aside, and I get on their level, okay? And I talk with them, and I say, ask them if I can pray for them. And their hearts are all messed up, just like yours and mine, when you're in this stuff. And you pray for them, and you ask the Holy Spirit to help them. And you model it, and you teach it, and you labor along, and you commit to that kid, and you use the tools that God's given to us as parents. And you trust that God's using them to anoint you with the Holy Spirit to do what you can't do to do even what you don't want to do in a moment of exasperation, a moment of oh, fatigue and exhaustion. I just can't do it anymore. Perfect, perfect, perfect. Want to be spirit-filled? I thought it would be more fun than this. <laughs> <You know? laughs> no, no, spirit-filled is for those who are above themselves, in and over. Too, it's too much, and I don't even want to do it. My heart is too hard. I'm too hurt. I'm too scared. Perfect. And the Holy Spirit will move into your life. <sighs> so all these things are part of the, the, the heart in the home, and the harmony of the believers. It says that they'll live a long and fruitful life. And this is one we need to figure out to discipline our kids and to raise them up, to honor God, to love God. Even as we have them, honor us as parents and love us. Isn't that crazy as a mom and dad to think you're in that, that position of exemplifying what it looks like to walk in commitment and obedience and honor to God? That you're in that position, I get to love you. Oh my goodness, Lord, help me. I get to be an example walking. That's just, oh Lord, for grace and forgiveness to me and the Lord will anoint you if you're letting him. Lord, this is too big. He goes on then. Now he's talked to moms, he's talked to dads, and he's talked to kids. And then he talks to dads again. I, don't, I just need you to see this. He's already talked to moms, he's talked to dads. Obey your parents, obey your mom and your dad mother and your father. And by the way, all these are real PC unpopular. You realize that, right? He used terms in here. He says, obey, which is right. Well, there is no real right and wrong. It's kind of just your opinion. No, no. He says it's right. There is an absolute truth in the scriptures. He addresses the fact that it's moms and dads, that this is the perfect recipe here. This is the definition of family in God's economy. It's a mom and a dad. And the whole culture around us peels that apart and picks that apart. And I realize there are situations even here at this church that don't have a mom and don't have a dad based on life's situations, hardship, death. I realize that there's, there's, it's not always perfect, but God says this is what it's supposed to look like, okay? In case you have any questions, this is how it's supposed to look, and you'll have a great life. You'll be full, and you'll have great honor. He says, and you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath. Verse 4, but bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. He says, and dads. And he puts a special weight on the dads. Because moms and dads have equal responsibility, but dads have primary responsibility. That's the teaching of the Bible. That the dad, the father, is the head of the home. That God has put an extra special measure of weight on the dads. As a matter of fact, he gives and shares the same name that he takes for himself as father. And he has dads rise up into that. He says, fathers, two things. Don't provoke your children to wrath and do train them up in righteousness. Don't blow it, but do succeed. Don't do this, but do do this. And how many of you guys think dads are important? Okay, parenting is a team effort. And uh, both moms and dads have different qualities and contributions, and we would all agree on that. Uh, but moms and dads are different. And Paul addresses uh, all of them in this text, but he gives a special weight to the dads. And I would say it this much. Uh, the most important person in your life is your dad. Okay, Whether that's for good or for evil. Even when I say the word dad, not everyone in here perks up. Some people have great memories that flood to their mind. Oh, dad, that was awesome. Oh, yeah, my dad. Other people, maybe half. When dad comes up, it's like, whatever. He wasn't there for me. It, didn't, it wasn't my story. 
He wasn't the most important person. He was the most important person for you. And he set you on a course of difficulty. If he wasn't there, if he was an absent dad, a difficult dad, a brute dad. Dads, though, are who he gives special instruction to throughout the scriptures because the father is the most influential person in somebody's life, whether for good or for grief. And here's the problem. Because of sin and laziness and a crazy cycle of culture that we live in, that word father doesn't always sit well with us. Studies actually show that uh, dads have great influence. As a matter of fact, they did a study years and years ago about salvation. And when teenagers get saved in a house, that teenager has a 20 to 30% chance, just one solo teen, of bringing the rest of their family to the Lord. Like, you know, junior gets saved and mom and dad are like, hey, we had enough, okay? We're good, go to church and camp, we're good. 20 to 30 chance of impacting their parents. Moms, when a mom gets saved in a family, she has a 30 to 50% chance of influencing their family unto salvation. And when a dad gets saved, he has a 50 to 80% chance of influencing his family into walking with the Lord. This is just the way God's, God's orchestrated it. And so with that, he doesn't give dads a big high five. He points at him and says, hey, pay attention, dads. Don't provoke your kids to wrath but raise them up in righteousness. This is shared. This obligation is shared. This isn't just for the dads. There's principles here that are shared with grandparents and aunts and uncles and moms, but he specifically says that dads and dads have a great influence in our home, and we have uh, experienced recently in our culture uh, a pandemic or epidemic of fatherlessness in our society. Uh, Upwards of 45% of all births after today will be to fatherless homes. I look at it from a spiritual point of view that Satan would love to just kind of eradicate dads, demasculinize them, demonize them in certain ways. These stats are taken from last year, 2015. Uh, There's 20 million children right now being raised in fatherless homes. Uh, That is 20 million kids go to bed tonight without a dad. Fatherless homes uh, are 44% more likely to raise kids that will go on uh, to live their adult life in poverty. 90% of uh, homeless and runaway children are from homes without dads. Children from fatherless homes are 10 times more likely to abuse drugs and alcohol. Fatherless homes are four times more likely to experience poverty of some sort. 71% of adolescent drug abusers are from fatherless homes. 80% of adolescents in mental institutions are from fatherless homes. Children from fatherless homes are twice as likely to kill themselves than homes with a dad. Fatherless homes experience more accidents and a higher rate of asthma, headaches, and speech defects. Fatherless children are nine times more likely to drop out of high school. The list goes on. I'll stop there. Now, I say that because we need to argue for the importance and the influence and the responsibility of dads, especially in our culture. Have you ever watched a sitcom recently? Did you notice that the hero is not the dad? On the contrary, it's, he's the, the goofball, by and large. Homer Simpson which I've never seen, just kidding. Family Guy, uh, Two and a Half Men, there's all kinds of shows where all of a sudden the dad is the zero, the goofball, the aloof one. The hero's usually the kid or the pet, okay? One of the two comes in to save the day. Somehow, the kid or the pet and the parents and all of this is being attacked in different ways and the scriptures speak to it and there's an epidemic against, I believe, the family dynamic. And if Satan can demasculinize fathers and strip away their influence, he'll win a whole generation uh, to himself. This is the way God designed it to be, and our culture is against it. So he tells fathers not to provoke their children to wrath. Now, moms and dads, again, are equal, but they don't bear equal responsibility. I don't even know how that sits well with you. I had to think about that for a couple weeks. There's just a different weight. matter of fact, let's feel that weight. If you're a dad, would you just stand up right now? Go ahead and stand up. You're a dad. I'm a dad. I'm standing with you. We got three kids. I really believe this is serious. And God's anointed you. He's called you. He's given you his, he's shared a name with you. So I'm going to ask you a few questions. Are you a good dad or are you a bad dad? Are you taking responsibility for your family, or are you abdicating that responsibility to somebody else? Would your children consider you a blessing or a burden? Is your wife glad to have you, or is she grieved to have you? Will your sons 
Will your sons marry when they get older? Who, who will they marry? Will your daughters marry? Who will they marry? Will your daughters marry somebody like you? Would you like that? Will your sons grow up to be like you? They probably will. Ask yourself this question. How much time have you already wasted? How much time have you lost? How much grace do you need? And right now when you're standing up, are you encouraged? Like I'm assuming the responsibility, I've got this. I'm gonna grow into this. I'm gonna receive God's grace. Or right now while you're standing, are you discouraged? You're standing. We're in a good company. Are you discouraged right now and overwhelmed? How do I, what do I do now moving forward? I'm going to ask you to sit down now. Have a seat. And I wanted you to stand in that. Because it's easy to pay the bills, easy to mow the lawn, easy to paint the house. It's easy to keep the cars running. It's easy to fill the gas, easy to pay the insurance. It's easy to tote kids to, and it's easy to do stuff. But that's not what he says. Verse four, and you children do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. And I don't have much time to go through this list, but I'm going to. You can come back to all three services and hear it again and again, and you can get it. Here's six ways why you can, how you can uh, provoke your children to wrath. Number one, withdrawal more from them than you deposit into them. It's like a bank. You can only make so many withdrawals as you make deposits. As, as you grow with your kids, every time you correct your kid and discipline your kid and instruct your kid, there's a sense of withdrawal. And you have to be making as a parent more deposits so that way your withdrawals don't run you into a deficit. And you've seen this when a dad calls upon a kid and says, hey, come here. And the kid head goes down, crud. What I do now? Because the kid knows what he's about to get, some sort of correction, discipline. Parents, are you supposed to correct and discipline? Yes. But you are also supposed to deposit and to bless and to overwhelm your kids with encouragement. And there should be in your life as a mom and a dad more encouragement than there are withdrawals. Hey, you're doing great. You're doing, you, you gave your best, and I really appreciate that. You are hanging in there when it's very difficult at school or that was a very difficult loss and I saw you and how easy is it for a dad? It's so easy for a dad to critique his son or his daughter when they've made a mistake because you saw it, right? You got 35 years on these people. But instead of come alongside him and say, that was awesome. That was so good. Can't believe it. You, just, you, did, you did great. You did great and you encourage as much as and more than you instruct or withdraw. Number two, here's one way to provoke your children to wrath is to be physically and verbally violent with them. Just be mean. Be a mean-spirited dad. He's gruff. He's grumpy. He's hard to be around. He's critical. Raises his voice. Escalates. Fights with your kids. Says things that hurt. Physical and verbal violence. Don't, don't be that dad. You can be emotionally absent. Dads can all uh, too easily just become quiet at the home. You work all day as a dad to help other people, to solve other people's problems, and you get home, and all of a sudden, dad's in the garage. Dad's on his phone. Dad's watching TV. Dad's in the den. Dad's distant and absent dad. You want to drive your children to wrath? You want to provoke them to grow up broken and depressed and despondent? Do these things. Dad's on his, doing his hobby again. Dad's with his friends again. Number four, you want to Drive your children to wrath. You can humiliate and criticize your children in public. It used to be real popular to embarrass your kids in public. Remember that? Remember that? Just like, oh, you know, I'm going to embarrass my kids in public. And it's, I understand that. Careful, though. Careful, though. Careful, though. Don't be that dad. Criticize your kids and humiliate them in front of their friends without realizing you're driving a wedge and your children are being provoked into wrath. Number five. This one's actually fun. Uh, you can provoke your kids to wrath by not being fun, okay? You can just be a daddy downer. You're just that guy. You're just not having fun. I would just instruct you, dads, have fun with your kids. Your kids want to have fun. And as a matter of fact, they're going to find somebody to have fun with, and it should be you. You should be the funnest person they know. Dress up. Have fun. You got a daughter? You better put a dress on every once in a while, okay? Put a tiara on your head. Sit down on a little chair. Drink fake tea. Film it, delete it, (laughs) 
Have fun, man. Don't be a daddy downer. And I just, I, your kids are going to find people they're going to have the bla- a blast with. Wouldn't it be awesome if you were their biggest competitor? You have more fun with your kids? You should pull your kids out of school at least once per year. Have it planned. Let your teachers know. Pull them out of school. Go do something fun, okay? You should make memories. You should spend money on fun, letting your kids know that you love them in that way. As a matter of fact, number five, uh, or maybe that's number six, I, I lose track. Just don't, don't be generous. That's one way to provoke your kids. Just be stingy all the time. Be up, uptight with your money and don't buy this and don't buy that. And people wonder, I don't want to spoil my kids. Look, something's going to spoil your kids. Okay, that ought to be you. You teach them to honor and respect. You love them and be generous with them. They'll then be generous as they grow as well. Here's a way to provoke your children to wrath. Dads, you need to hear this one. Don't ever repent of your own sin. Don't ever do it and you'll drive your kids to wrath. Don't ever get on their level. Don't offend them and say sorry, and you'll provoke them to wrath. But dad, you did this wrong, so I'm the dad. Oh, got it, got it. This is one of the hardest things. When you raise your voice, when you're out of line, when you accuse a sibling of doing, I've done this, when you accuse a sibling of doing something and they deny it, and you're like, oh man, don't lie to my face, and you realize it was another kid, and oh, oh, sorry about that, moving on. No, 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 you get on their level. Get on their level and say, man, I was wrong. I was wrong. And my goal as a parent is not to convince my kids that I'm always right, but that God's always right. And one way I convince and prove and show my kids that God is always right by me being wrong and knowing where to find grace. You want to drive your kids to wrath and push them away? Don't ever repent. You'll provoke them. He says this, though, and do and do bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Did you know that as a dad, you're their pastor? Their number one pastor, pastor dad. You're the one. You're the one as God has given to them to pray for them, to teach them and to model them the things of God. Pray for your kids. If you haven't been doing this, pray for your kids. Pray for your kids Pray for your kids. Pray for your wife. You should pray for their school. You should pray for their friends. You should pray for their spouses. You should pray for their purpose in life. Last night before I went to bed, about 11 o'clock, I was in the den. I just got on my knees and I just prayed for each and every one of my kids. I prayed for their friends. I prayed for the call in their life, their individual personalities. I prayed for their spouses. I prayed for their ministries. I prayed for protection from the enemy, knowing full well that the enemy has plans for them in their 20s. And I prayed against that, covering them. Not just praying for them as their dads, as their pastors at home, but to model it. If you do something, guess what? Your kids will also do that thing. It's just the way it works. If you like sports, you like cars, you like food, whatever the case is, your kids will also like those things. It's just the way it works. If you get up in the morning or at night or in the day and you read the Bible, your kids will be people that read the Bible. If you go out and serve your neighborhood and you're generous with your time and you pray for people at Fred Myers and you minister and you go on mission trips, your children will be people that are generous with their time, that pray for people, that minister to those around them. They'll see it as you model it. If your kids see that you love Jesus, that you raise your hands, that you speak out loud and pray, your kids will eventually raise their hands, love Jesus, and speak out loud and pray, not just praying, not just modeling, but teaching. I call this integration where we integrate the truth with our kids. There's two different camps. I don't have time to build to unpack all of this, but there's one camp that says, I'm just gonna keep my kids from the harm, okay? The world's harmful. There's stuff on the internet. There's stuff at schools. There's stuff here. I'm just gonna keep my kids protected from that environment. I'm gonna keep them naive and in this bubble. We're gonna lock the door, us four no more. We're just gonna be fine, and we're gonna just, you know, this is, and I, could, I have some other stereotypes that come to my, my mind, and I won't put those out there anyways. We're just gonna do this, and what happens is, is you raise naive kids that maybe are holy at that moment, but naive kids will go into the world and will fall for everything. And the goal is not to raise naive children or a naive family, but the goal is to raise a holy family, a family that understands what's happening in today's world. And as a parent, you teach as you go. You teach and you instruct. When you're walking down the mall, down the street, and you see something that's right, you stop and say, do you see that? you see that, kids? Let me explain how that works. And you explain it as you go. You see something that's wrong, absolutely wrong, and you grab Junior's eyes and you turn him. Don't look at that. Don't look at that. You know? Or, or you say, look at that with me. I'm right here because you're going to see more of that. There's going to be a lot of that, and you need to know what you're looking at, and you need to know where, what to do with it, and you need to know how to discern it. 
we watch, we don't have a TV at our house, but we watch shows. One of my kids' favorite shows, American Ninja Warrior. It's so funny, they, they, they're really good at it, an American Ninja Warrior. And so we'll pause it throughout during interviews with the athletes and commercials that come up that are maybe racy or wrong or evil or dark or lewd. And we'll pause it and say, do you guys see that? We've got to explain this to you. This is our turn to explain to you what's happening right now because there's going to be a life of this. I don't want you to be naive. I want you to understand where holiness is at and how this looks and teaching our kids how to navigate not just morality but lifestyles and how to spend money and how to save money and how to tithe money and how to be generous. You're, you're, their, you're their pastor. You're their dad. You're the father. He says here, verse 4, I'm going to read it again so you know I'm not making any of this up. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and in the admonition of the Lord. I'm going to have you guys, everyone here, bow your heads and pray with me, and the worship team's going to come up. We're just trucking through Ephesians, taking it as it comes. Last week we looked at marriages. Today we looked at parenting. Not just parenting, but fathers specifically. While the worship team comes up and everyone's sitting, I'm going to ask everyone who is raising a kid right now to stand. Mom and dad, grandpa, grandma, whoever's raising a kid. You've got a young person in your house, somebody you're influencing, somebody you're leading. It might be everybody here. You stand up right now. Fathers and mothers, single families. You've got somebody in your house right now, a young person. Satan's on the prowl dismantling, deteriorating families. And there's a heavy call to raise up the next generation. And you need the Holy Spirit to do so. You need God's power to resurrect and refresh you right now. You moms and dads who are exhausted, who are overwhelmed. You moms and dads who've blown it thus far. Maybe there's wreckage in your past and, oh, we blew it. You need the Holy Spirit. And he is here for you. And he is here to empower you and to lead you and so lord those standing up right now those who have kiddos lord those who even have raised kiddos those who've lost kiddos those lord we look to you and we say we say we need you we need you and we thank you those who are grandparents here lord may, may you anoint them to lord be what they maybe weren't for their kiddos to pray to pour into to integrate to model to teach to lead, Lord, for the dads and the moms that are here that got little guys and gals in their house. Lord, may they look at their kiddos a whole new way today. May those kids be blessed. May there be a refreshment from the parents here, Lord, the single moms and the single dads, Lord. Anoint them to know that you are their provider. You are everything that they lack and everything that they need. They can do all things through Christ who strengthens them. There is, Lord, no one who is too far from your arm that you cannot reach. And for those who are particularly hurting today, I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, you'd minister to them. And may the softness of their heart, Lord, be evident to the rest of the world. And may we all, Lord, come to know and believe that there is a Savior, there is a God, there is a Father who loves all, who has done all of these things for us who has endured the cross on our behalf, Lord, who has given himself as a sacrifice, who has shown, Lord, the way and has invited us into his power. So, Lord, those who are standing and even those who are sitting, I pray your blessing and anointing upon them. We love you. We want to do our best. We want to do well. And so we surrender our lives to you in Jesus' name. Amen.